This is an ABC podcast. Celibacy, deciding not to have sex. It's something a lot of us probably associate with religion, that sort of thing. But some people who've had healthy, active sex lives are deciding to give it a go, either for a fixed period or indefinitely. So why are they doing that? Because <laughs> they reckon it's helping to clear their minds, to refocus. G'day, Dave Marchese with you for the Hack Podcast. In a bit, you're going to hear from the young Aussies who are done with sex. But first... Hack. The Australian public, for the most part, want to know why this happened. Like, how, how did this actually happen? On Triple J. Were you caught up in the robo-debt mess? Because hundreds of thousands of young Australians were. They were falsely told they owed the government money, they needed to pay it back immediately, and it placed so many of you under intense financial and mental stress. For some, it ended tragically. Maybe you were affected by this, and you're still feeling the impacts years on. We hear from you all the time. I want to know, is that your experience? one 300 You can message in as well, 0439757555. Well, there was a big announcement today. The Albanese government announced that it's setting up a royal commission, which is a powerful inquiry into the failed robo-debt scheme. And you might be thinking, why now? Didn't all this get sorted out in a big court case? Haven't we already dealt with it? Well, it was an election promise. Labor says there are still questions that need answering. In a minute, we're going to speak to the minister who's been pushing for this royal commission, Bill Shorten. But first, here's Hack's political reporter, Georgia Hitch, to explain how we got here. I still get really, really angry about it, actually. It's awful. It's embarrassing. It's been a few years now since Alex Blake got her robo-debt notice, telling her she owed Centrelink $3,500 because they allegedly overpaid her when she was getting youth allowance at uni. She's not over it and is happy the government's pushing ahead with a royal commission into how the scheme came to be. It's just, yeah, it's foul. Like These rich white men sitting up there making all these rules, taking money from people that don't have money to give. It's just, it's not on. It makes me so cross. The robo-debt saga kicked off around six years ago when suddenly a bunch of people on Centrelink payments were told they'd been overpaid and now actually owed money to the government. Before then, if there were differences between what you told the government you'd been paid and what your boss said you'd been paid, a Centrelink officer would check what was going on before they sent out a debt letter. But in 2016, the coalition government took out the middleman and instead sent out computer-generated debt notices, including to people who didn't actually owe anything. The issue was a lot of people didn't know that and forked out thousands of dollars they didn't need to. Then, in 2019, a group of people decided to challenge the scheme. A class action will be launched against the government over the so-called robo-debt scandal, arguing the government's automated debt system is unlawful. Lawyers say the use of a flawed computer algorithm to issue Centrelink debt notices is illegal. The government ditched the scheme not long afterwards and then in 2020 agreed to refund $721 million in unlawful debts to over 370,000 people. After months of refusing to apologise for the toll the scheme took on thousands of people, then Prime Minister Scott Morrison made this statement. And I would apologise to any um, any hurt or harm in, in the way that the government has, has dealt with that issue and to anyone else who's find themselves in those situations. Then, a few months later, this happened. The Commonwealth has agreed to an out-of-court settlement worth $1.2 billion in its controversial robo-debt scheme on the day a class action lawsuit was due to go to trial. In May, the federal government agreed to pay back $721 million 
Today's settlement includes that amount, $112 million in compensation and a decision to drop a further $398 million in debts wrongly raised. Even though that meant closure and financial relief for a lot of people, Labor argued there were still lots of questions that hadn't been answered. Like how RoboDebt came about in the first place, whether ministers in charge knew it was illegal, and the human impact and toll it took on people who were already struggling to get by. I'll tell you the other cost, this is what uh, Minister Shorten has been speaking about, the human cost of this. People lost their lives. During the election, Anthony Albanese promised that if Labor won, it would launch a Royal Commission into the scheme to get to the bottom of it all. Which brings us to today. The Royal Commission will examine the establishment of the scheme, who was responsible for it and why it was necessary, how concerns were handled, how the scheme affected individuals and the financial cost to government, and measures to prevent this ever happening again. This morning, the Prime Minister announced more details about the Commission, including that it'll be run by the former Chief Justice of the Queensland Supreme Court, Catherine Holmes, and is due to report back by the 18th of April next year. And while nothing's been confirmed yet, it's a fair bet that some of the members of the old government who had a hand in setting up or running RoboDebt, think Scott Morrison, Alan Tudge and Christian Porter, will be asked to give evidence. Opposition leader Peter Dutton's described the commission as a witch hunt and thinks there are bigger issues now that the government should be focusing on. Anthony Albanese is spending more time in the rear vision, looking in the rear vision mirror uh, than he is looking ahead at what is going to confront the Australian public and he should be concentrating more on how he can help families. Alex says for her and other people impacted by RoboDead, the Royal Commission will help them in other really important ways. Well, it's just closure, isn't it? Like, everyone needs that. You need to get it out, you need to talk about what happened in order to move forward um, because it is really scarring, it's horrible. Like Financial instability is so difficult. I think it is, it's really important that people talk about it. Hack on Triple J. Georgia Hitch with that update and I'm hearing from you. Someone says, imagine all the people that are going to be triggered by this whole ongoing saga, a sad point in political history. Another person, Faith in Richmond, says, I still flinch when I hear robo-debt after being told I had a $13,000 debt after four years of Oz study. And Pete in Newey in a Wobbicle country says, how much is this commission going to cost? What are we going to see for that money? Well, let's find out. Let's talk to the government, ask those questions. Bill Shorten is the Minister for Government Services and he's with us now. G'day, Minister. Thanks for coming on Hack. Yeah, thanks for having me on. The government's announced the terms of reference for this Royal Commission today. Basically, that means the scope of it, what it's going to look into. Mm. What will the Commission be investigating? Well, just to remind listeners, RoboDebt was an automated debt collection system which the previous Conservative government introduced between July of 2015 until they stopped it under pressure from Labor in November of 2019. It was illegal. Uh, so the terms of reference that we have put forward is how could a government, senior public servants and responsible ministers, create an unlawful scheme which unlawfully raised debts of $1.763 billion at least against 433,000 vulnerable people how could they run and create an unlawful scheme? How could they ignore the warnings? How could they not take into account the impact on victims? We still don't know why. 
Well, as you said, hundreds of thousands of people were affected by this. Many of those are probably listening right now. I'm wondering, are they going to get an opportunity to tell their stories? Like, how will the Commission work? Will it travel around the country? The Commission will be headquartered in Brisbane. It'll be up to the uh, Honourable Catherine Holmes, a distinguished judge from the Queensland legal system who did the Wyvernhoe Dam inquiry. It'll be up to her how to conduct it. Uh, I imagine there'll be a series of case studies so people will get the chance to tell their story. This isn't designed to take years and years and for every person who uh, felt aggrieved to register their grievance. We've had a class action. We've taken up a lot of these cases. It's to bring closure, though, for all those people. Well, I want to ask about the time frame because the Royal Commission's got a deadline of April next year Mm -hmm. to come back with its final report. Is that enough time? It seems pretty quick. I think that for a Royal Commission with pretty defined terms of reference, it's a discrete area. This isn't, say, tell us all about defence in Australia or talk about all institutional responses to child abuse. This is a pretty focused topic and... I'm hopeful that in six or seven months uh, with a very strong and respected Royal Commissioner that we'll get the answers to the questions which the previous government just stonewalled us on. How much is it going to cost? We've allocated a budget of $30 million. So some of that will go for uh, the cost of lawyers, assisting commission and staff. Some it will be used to provide fund representation for uh, the senior public servants and any politicians who get called. Well, I'm just wondering because... You know, this has already been through the court system. The former Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, apologised for any hurt or harm caused. The government was ordered to pay a $1.8 billion settlement. What more can we get out of this? Well, some of it's been through the courts. I was involved with helping set up the class action because the parliament under the last government was broken. They denied there was anything unlawful. Minister after minister would uh, issue... Uh, self-congratulatory press releases saying they were going to hunt down welfare cheats and, 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 you know, force people to pay money they owed. The previous government created a notion that some people on welfare were cheats and they really, in my opinion, victimised the poor, the vulnerable, people who need the safety net. But what we do need, because we didn't get it in the class action, they paid back the money, they wiped the debts. But what they never said is who created it and how could this monster scheme... Uh, stagger along for four and a half years, ignoring the warnings that were coming thick and fast for the whole duration. We still don't know who dreamed it up, who didn't check its legality or did they ignore its illegality and why on earth they kept uh, handling the complaints but never deciding and investigating maybe the scheme was fundamentally flawed, which it was. Look, there's no doubt that this has been incredibly traumatic and, you know, we're very familiar with this on Hack. We've been telling these stories before a lot of other people were, but I'm... I'm also, you know, a little bit sceptical and there are probably listeners who are sceptical who are thinking, you know, in politics everything's political. Is this just a way of deflecting attention onto the former government to take the heat off the current government? No, this is making sure that the mistakes of the past don't get repeated in the future. And we still don't know how an unlawful scheme of this scale can be created. It's The, the previous government will say, oh, it's just politics. Well, it wasn't just politics of the 433,000 people who had illegal debts raised against them. Did you know that about 20% of all robo-debt claims were against people under 24? People who had finished school, people getting youth allowance, people at university. This was targeted at the young and it was unlawful. So we don't know how it came to be. We don't know why it kept in place. And we don't know 
who pushed it, who designed it, who didn't check its legality. We don't know. So until we know that, the matter's not closed. And would we rather not have a Royal Commission? I'd rather the previous government hadn't broken the law. But there are going to be people who are going to say, look, enough with the inquiries into the former government. We need to be focusing on what's happening now. Yeah, but you can't move forward until you understand the mistakes of the past. This is not just another day at the office. This was not just a, my bad, so sad, so sorry, nothing to see here, move on. This was an illegal decision at the highest levels of government of a massive scale against hundreds of thousands of citizens. This wasn't just another blooper. This wasn't just another B-roll. This wasn't just another outtake, which should just stay on the cutting floor. You're listening to Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with Government Services Minister Bill Shorten about this Royal Commission into robo-debt that's been announced. I'm hearing your thoughts come through. Somebody says, I got a robo-debt notice of more than $10,000, at which I challenged at the time, spent days of my time to find and dig out pay slips to justify everything. The debt was reduced down to $1,500. Katie says, I got a robo-debt of $3,500 four years after I received Centrelink money while I was studying. I was living off the smell of an oily rag. It was terrifying and I felt so helpless. And Matt from Melbourne says, I had a mate who took his life after getting a false robo-debt. It wasn't the only thing he had going on, but it could have been the last straw. Who's been held responsible for that? P.S. wasn't Labor the original designers of what became robo-debt? The opposition leader, Peter Dutton, was saying today that the inquiry needs to go back further, scrutinise Labor's role in setting up the initial data matching program. As we heard earlier, it has been recognised that the full automation that ended up in computer-generated debt notices started under the coalition government in 2016. That's been recognised. Bill Shorten, what happens if the Royal Commission finds dodgy stuff, like there previous ministers, politicians who have stuffed up here. Does anything actually happen? A Royal Commission can't make um, late charges. It's a fact-finding exercise, uh, a truth-seeking exercise. It's the emperor of all inquiries. It has the powers to compel evidence, to compel documents, to make people sit in the witness box who have never previously sat in the witness box who use their power and authority to dodge and weave. At the end, the Royal Commission will make recommendations. We'll have to see what those recommendations are. We'll have to see if there's any adverse commentary about any of the previous political leaders or not. At the end of the day, this wasn't just, in my opinion, about cold-hearted coalition ministers. It was also a failure of the senior levels of the public service. It should never have got to where it got. Also, at a deeper level... It was the use of computer algorithms, an automated system where we assumed the machine was right and the humans were wrong. And I think we have to fundamentally rethink our notions. Automations, digitalisation, algorithms are great. Uh, Big data, using it to come up with good policy outcomes, excellent. But we can't take human oversight out of it. There are decisions that machines can make and there are decisions that humans can make. And I think that, in my opinion... The previous government delegated too many of the decisions to the machines and not the humans. So are any of those automated processes still being used now? No. um, I'm now the Minister for Services Australia. Uh, The use of uh, algorithms which would assess a fortnightly eligibility for a benefit against uh, a year's annual income uh, now has human oversight. But I'm not satisfied yet uh, that the debt system where the the government says that an individual owes a debt is operating to the best practice. I think sometimes 
debt notices, and this isn't a system of robo-debt, but it's a, I think it's a general challenge. Even now, I think people get notices. I think they need to be better explained. People's rights need to be better understood at that first communication. How we calculate when we say someone owes something to the government, I think there needs to be better explanation of how that number's arrived at. That's not robo-debt, but I do think that uh, the Commonwealth should be best practice. So is there going to be an overhaul there? I've been meeting with civil society. This is now not the robo-debt issue, but just generally, I think that um, government should be the best model citizen in terms of the way they communicate with their citizens. And until we get to that point, then I think there's more work to be done. It wasn't just the responsible ministers that were slammed by the federal court in the judgment. It was also senior public That's servants, true. officials, those sorts of people. Yeah. The federal court said they should have known that this wasn't working. Are those officials still in their jobs? Are they still making decisions? Uh, a lot of them not in the same positions, but who the Royal Commission ultimately calls, I don't know. Uh, I would just say to the frontline staff who work in Services Australia, the old Centrelink or working in Medicare... They're not, I don't blame any of them for this. This scheme was dreamed up at the highest levels of government. That's where the buck stops. And this is not a, and I just say to people who are dealing with Services Australia or Centrelink, the people you're dealing with on the phone or in the office, they're good people. They're trying to do their best. They've been part of a public service which for nine years was uh, undermined by their government. No, this is an issue of senior public servants and responsible ministers, and as the federal court judge said, they should have known better. And in terms of recommendations, back to that, you were saying, you know, the Royal Commission will make its recommendations, Mm. we'll look at those. What if the Commission decides, actually, we think more compensation should be paid? Is the government going to be ready to potentially pay out more money to people? We'll have to go where the recommendations take us. Let's see where the facts go. Best case scenario to come out of the Royal Commission for you? That we learn how to make sure this never happens again. That people who are the victims of the scheme feel some sense of closure and that those responsible are accountable. All right, Bill Shorten, Government Services Minister, thanks for joining us on Hack. Good conversation. Thank you very much. Hack on Triple J. We've got some more messages coming through. John from Nam says, it happened before, it'll happen again. Need to learn the lessons to prevent this happening. That's why I'm all for the Royal Commission. Somebody else got a $20,000 robo-debt. It took a long time to pay back. Haley and Nam says, I got a robo-debt notice and had a debt collector sent to my house. Luckily, I was securely employed, had family support and was healthy enough to be resilient. And one more person says, I was hoping for compensation and applied for the class action. But when that was settled, I was still told that I wouldn't get my 1600 robo-debt payment back, even though it was fraudulent. That was Kieran in Sydney. Look, we know that robo-debt caused so much anguish and anxiety. If it's raised any issues for you, please, you can call Lifeline. They're always there on 13 11 14 and this is a big one. We're going to follow this Royal Commission closely on Hack and we'll keep you updated along the way. Hack, he went celibate. Sorry, bro. <laughs> he went where? Celibate. Where's that? He wouldn't have sex. Oh. On Triple J. Yeah, where is that? <laughs> We're delving into something completely different now and I'm wondering, do you think you could give up sex indefinitely? Because some are, and not for the reasons you might think. It's got nothing to do with religion. It's about changes in hookup culture that have happened since COVID. It's about some people doing it for a deeper and more genuine connection with their partners. Others reckon it'll help them reclaim their sexual energy or heal from toxic relationships. This could be you. If it is, I want to know. Call me. Why did you decide to be celibate? How are you finding it? 
1300 You can message in as well, 0439757555. First, here's our relationship lord, AJ Williams. And hey, if you're one of our loyal toddler listeners, maybe good time to turn down the radio. When was the last time you had sex? Hear me out. No doubt the pandemic has changed hookup culture. Even though things are back to normal now, many young people are turning away from casual sex, putting quality over quantity, and some just going full-blown celibate. Don't know what celibacy is? Ask Davide on Love Island. He went celibate, so he wrote. <laughs> he went where? Celibate. Where's that? He wouldn't have sex. Oh. So I decided on a year. I thought I'm going to be celibate for a year. And for me, it wasn't just going to be like a sexual or a physical celibacy. It was also going to be an emotional, romantic kind of celibacy. That's Becky. She chose to go celibate in her 20s. Not because she's religious, but because she was in a really toxic relationship that turned her off sex. So I've been in like a really serious relationship for six years in my early 20s. There was like a really happy, harmonious, healthy relationship. And then, yeah, this kind of dysfunctional relationship that just, you know, as well as the emotional stuff, just left me with a really bad taste in my mouth about sex in general. You know, I'd had such a, like, such a great relationship with sex and it was such a big part of my identity as well. Becky reckons the breakup was super hard for her. And while some people think the best way to get over someone is to get under someone else, Becky was like, nah, f*** that, and chose to not have sex for two whole years and yep that meant none of this either yeah legit correct legit no sex at all um and no no kissing you know like hooking up like i wasn't getting fingered like nothing nothing was happening you know it was a much more free experience becky reckons it was hard at first to reject sex but she got the hang of politely declining and it was just like the scene in Euphoria when Maddie casually shuts down a guy by saying this. I'll do anything to fuck you. You're so sweet, but no. There's a bunch of TikToks of that sound and it's considered the unofficial slogan of new age celibacy. It may be that they're really trying to figure out how to you know, meet someone who they want. And as a result, they're just not choosing to have sex with people who they don't feel that physical or emotional attraction to. Some people also say that it allows for them to put all of their energy into things that they really love or other relationships that are fulfilling for them. That's sex coach Georgia Grace. And she reckons for many young people going cold turkey on sex, it could be a good thing. While traditionally celibacy meant no sex before marriage, more young people are changing the way we look at sex. In a world full of hookup culture and easy routes, young people are over it. Instead, wanting more genuine connections. After completing 1,000 days of celibacy, here are the six lessons I learned from the experience. I feel like the first step of healing that people don't really talk about, but people should talk about, is abstaining from sex. If you're sexually active, celibacy is something you may want to consider. But there is a common misconception about celibacy and asexuality. They're completely different. Let's not get them twisted. Asexuality is a spectrum. 
And some people may experience no desire, no sexual attraction, no romantic attraction, but really it is a part of who they are as an individual. When we look at celibacy, this is more, and, and how people will define this is also really different. So some people may say celibacy is doing nothing sexual. Georgia reckons social media has played a huge role in how we view sex today. In this information era, in the time that we are really able to access so much sex positive, shame-free, inclusive sex education, as a result, people are thinking, actually, you know what, I'm gonna wait a little bit longer or I might not have sex with as many people as I have in the past because I know how to fulfill myself. I mean, even a bunch of celebrities went celibate at one point. So, is there any benefits? Yeah, it, it gave me so much more than I think I would have ever given it credit for at the beginning. Um, it just emptied so much, you know, space in my mind. I got this physical time back, you know, I went to therapy, I figured my shit out. And not just like relationship stuff, but like, you know, going back, there was stuff that I needed to, to deal with that I had just been distracting myself from. Some people identify that it's this moment for them to really connect in with themselves, you know, focus on what they want to do. And it allows for them to commit to other things that are really exciting for them. Hack on Triple J. AJ Williams with that one. And whoa, it's blowing up on the text line. Haven't seen one of these for a while. Look at all these messages. Someone says, absolutely not. No way. I'm a female with a high sex drive. I need it weekly and get annoyed at my partner if we don't do it minimum once a week. Somebody else says, try 10 years, peeps. That's crazy. Another person says, I've been celibate for three years to heal from toxic masculinity I dealt with. Emily is on the line from Newcastle, Awabical country. Emily, you've done this. You were celibate for almost a year. How was it? Yeah, honestly, it was the best thing I've ever done for myself. I set out to do a year and I was just cut short of that because I may um, met an amazing person, which is my partner today. Um, and I just think it was an incredible experience that I urge other people to try. Interesting. So it definitely gave you some clarity. You were loving that. Emily, there are so many people who have similar experiences to you who are messaging in now. Thanks so much for that. We're going to talk a bit more about this. And we've got an expert, Dr. Lauren Rosewarn from Melbourne Uni, is an expert on sexuality, gender, pop culture, and she's with us now. G'day, Lauren. Thanks for coming on Hack. Thanks for having me. Look, so many messages on this one. Young people choosing to go celibate, they're saying it's empowering, it's given them something back. Does that make sense? Yeah, look, I mean, there's a lot of reasons and it's hard to generalise because people do things for different reasons. But I think there's an element here of self-help culture that's crept into the kind of the zeitgeist. And I think a good example is the language we have around talking about detoxes, for example, where this gets framed as a kind of sexual detox and all the rhetoric we associate with going on a kind of juice cleanse has been applied to sex. And I think people attach kind of meanings to it as opposed to realising, you know, sex with any relationship or new partner takes on new dynamics. Do these things fade in and out of popularity, like with pop culture and stuff, like at the moment the celibacy hashtags pumping on TikTok, but do you reckon that's just a trend? 
Yeah, of course, because bigger than a hashtag is libido and the fact that people are going to get horny. And eventually the horniness is going to override, you know, any hashtag. And yes, you can say, well, there's lots of different ways to deal with horniness. And of course, masturbation is an option and destigmatizing that is great. But some people also crave physical contact with someone else. More messages coming through. Someone says sex without intimacy sucks anyway. So honestly, I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything and have never felt less interested in sex in my life. Life. And Drew says, does it count if it's not my choice and just because I'm undesirable? <laughs> Drew, no, don't say that. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, Lauren, you know, is it because we've got this saturation of sex in all facets of culture, social media, and there's so much of it around that people are just thinking, no, thanks, I need a break. Has that got something to do with it? Do yeah, you there's a bit of a, a buffet element to it where you're standing in front of the giant buffet and thinking, I can't make a choice. I feel a bit sick and overwhelmed. There's that aspect to it. The other is I think we're raising our standards, not just, you know, wanting someone hotter than poor Drew, but raising our standards in the sense of I don't want to be with someone who doesn't sexually satisfy me or I don't want to just have sex for the sake of it. I want it to be meaningful. Right. Well, look, there's so much more I think we could unpack and I wish we had time to do it because there is a lot of interest, I can tell, and people are definitely doing this. Dr. Lauren Rosewan from the University of Melbourne, thanks very much for your time. Any time at all. Thank you. We've got some more messages coming through. Someone says, I've been celibate for 18 months. I took a step back, re-evaluated how I was approaching relationships and decided to take my power back. I've been casually dating and have been very open that I'm not interested in being intimate until it was something more serious and most people have been quite receptive and understanding. Yeah, that was part of it. As we heard earlier in the story, those conversations that can be a little tricky at first. Another person says, I stopped having sex because I find it painful and it's not enjoyable with anyone. It takes a lot of energy to do it. And Braden says, happy birthday to AJ for yesterday, brother. Oh, nice birthday message in there for reporter AJ, who brought us the celibacy story. Yeah, happy birthday, AJ. Hack on Triple J. Big thanks again to Dr. Lauren Rosewarn and to everyone who messaged in. We had so many messages on celibacy, people really interested, wanting to learn more or maybe have done it themselves. That's all we've got time for on the Hack Podcast for now. I'll catch you next time.